The Institute of Art and Ideas is excited to announce Closer to Truth as an official partner for our upcoming How the Light Gets In Festival at Hey on Why, happening this year, May 24th to 27th. Closer to Truth examines humanity's deepest questions with the world's greatest thinkers, from Nobel laureates and renowned scientists to theologians and best-selling authors. For 20 years, Closer to Truth has explored the deep questions of cosmos, consciousness, and meaning. This year, host Robert Lawrence Kuhn journeys to new depths with their philosophy of biology season, exploring topics like evolution, race, alien intelligences, sex and gender, and much more. Get early access to full episodes from this brand new season by registering for a free membership at their website, closertotruth.com. Discover the fundamental issues of existence, engage new and diverse ways of thinking, and seek out your own answers with Closer to Truth. The Institute of Art and Ideas, articles, videos, and podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times the podcast that brings you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. This week, we're discussing willful ignorance and the process of avoiding ethical problems. Joining us this week is businesswoman and author Margaret Heffernan, who outlines why institutions and individuals need to open their eyes to information they do not want to know. It isn't that we don't know there are problems. It's just we endlessly search for alibis as to why it's not our problem. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review, join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter, and head over to our website, iai.tv. Back now to Margaret Heffernan. The story I want to start with is um, about a friend of mine. And I will call the friend Sam, although that wasn't his name. And Sam came to me one day. Sam was uh, an executive vice president. In other, in other words, a very senior, super important, extremely well-paid individual. He came to me one day and he said, Margaret, I think I'm going to leave my job. I said, wow, you know, you've been there a long time. You're in this very powerful, well-paid job? Why do you want to leave? Uh, do you have another job? No. Okay, so what's the problem? Well, he said, you know, I've known for about two years that one of my colleagues um, sexually harasses the young women in his department. And everybody knows. Everybody knows. You know, when we have executive outings, he'll bring one of his latest young women along with him. You know, the rest of us bring our spouses. He comes with one of these women. It's awkward. It's embarrassing. And I feel ashamed of us that we allow this to continue. And I just don't want to be associated with it anymore. So I've decided to leave. And I think at that point, he expected me to say, well done, Sam. You are a man of principle. You get out of this place as fast as you can. So I'm going to pause the story there. Because one ending of it could be, 
Sam leaves and he gets a job somewhere else and he lives happily ever after. But one of the things I was thinking about as I was having this conversation with Sam is what's going on here? What's really happening in Sam's head? What's he thinking? Well, one of the things that Sam was thinking was, um, I don't like this. It reflects badly on me. I don't want to be associated with it, so go away. That's Sam thinking about Sam. He's thinking, it's not my job to fix this, right? He's thinking, it's not my job to fix this. I'm not head of HR, right? Sexual harassment isn't on my job description. So it's not my job to fix it. He's thinking, well, maybe nobody else minds. And as it happens, Sam is Egyptian, so maybe he's thinking, maybe this is okay in England. What do I know? He's thinking, if I raise this topic, there's going to be an argument. Well, I don't like arguments. Nobody likes arguments. I'm conflict averse. Most people are conflict averse. So I don't want to have this argument. It's much better, easier to leave. So it's not my job. Maybe other people think it's OK. Right? I'm conflict averse. I've tried really hard, so let's say for two years, to ignore it. So I've stayed really busy. So that kind of kept it at bay, but somehow it won't leave me alone. And, um, and it's too difficult. It's just too difficult. So instead of doing anything, I'm just going to leave. So Sam is a textbook example of someone who's willfully blind. He's been willfully blind for uh, two years. And he's still willfully blind, even though he can see what's happening, because he cannot see a single positive outcome, except for him to preserve himself by leaving. And you might think Sam is an unusual example. I think he may be having an experience it's quite likely everyone in this room has had. Not exactly the same, but working in situations where there are things that aren't quite right, and it's not quite our job to do anything about them, and we might be wrong, and we want to be a good we want to do a good job, which by and large we think means let's not have a fight. Let's be jovial, good citizens. Let's fit in. And I've seen this in so many cases, I've kind of lost track. If you look in detail, as I have at what happened in Rotherham, exactly the same thing. Everybody knows. Everybody knows what's going on in Rotherham. If you look at any NHS scandal, everybody knows, right? In Bristol, they knew that too many children were dying from heart operations. In Mid-Staffordshire, they knew that too many patients were dying. You could see them in the hallways. Right? So this is a very, very common occurrence. 
And sadly, one reason I had to update my book was because there's a whole new book's worth of examples of people who are in the middle of something, and it's not great, but they want to preserve themselves, their sense of themselves as good people, so they want to move away from the thing that's bad. They, and they want really desperately not to see it. And that's where Sam is at this moment. It's bad. He can't think of anything to do. It's not his job. It's other people's jobs. Not quite sure who. Doesn't want to have the argument. Conflict is bad. Turn away. Here's a second version of the story. Sam and I have this conversation, and I turn to him and say, so Sam, I think this is great. I'm really delighted you have such high standards. Um, uh, but I think if you're going to leave, it's really important that you leave with your head held high. So here's the question for you. Have you tried everything? And Sam looks at me, and he says, well, I don't know. What would everything be? I said, I don't know, Sam. I don't work here. You work here. I think you need to go away and take a quiet moment with a piece of paper and a pen and make a list of what everything could be and think about that. About a month passes, and um, I see Sam again, and he's looking pretty cheerful. And I said, so Sam, what happened? How did the story end? You never told me. He said, well, it was really interesting. I did what you told me. I did the list. I wrote down a whole bunch of things I could do or could have done. And then I looked at the list, and there were two or three, three things on that list that I thought, actually, they're so easy, I may as well just give it a shot. And that story ends with the sexual harasser being fired and Sam being promoted. So which story do you think is true? The one where he leaves or the one where he stays? Who thinks he leaves? Put your hands up. And who thinks he stays? God bless you. It's nice to know there's some optimists in the audience. Sam stayed. He went, he did his list, he acted on his list, and he stayed. Now, what is so interesting to me about the story is that Sam had power. Sam had experience. Sam had intelligence. And Sam had an ethical sense. He just had absolutely no idea how to use those things. He was blind to his own capacity. He was blind to his own power. He was, on some level, unaware of his own capacity. And as I've done all this work on willful blindness, and as it does all its work on me, to be honest, I am endlessly astounded 
by the degree to which we have power and resources and intelligence and an ethical sense, and we mostly don't use them or don't know how to use them or don't exercise them enough to use them. And so I want to suggest that this is one of the biggest issues we face, which is not that we can't do anything, but we can't see what we can do. It isn't that we don't know there are problems. It's just we endlessly search for alibis as to why it's not our problem. And in doing that, of course, we don't make things better, even for ourselves. We create the, we create the circumstances in which the things we can see going wrong have more time to bed in. So there are a lot of moving parts to this, I think. And I'm just going to outline a couple, and then I'm going to shut up so we can have a conversation. Part of the problem that Sam has, of course, is that he's talking largely to people like himself. He's talking to his wife. He's talking to his colleagues. They all see pretty much the same thing. They're highly driven to be cordial. Everybody's terribly nice. Sam joined his company because everybody was terribly nice. So he's surrounded by people who see the world pretty much like he does. That's one problem. The second problem is he's highly conflict-averse. He believes, as most people believe, that an argument is somehow an act of aggression. It's never occurred to him that conflict is thinking, and conflict with people can be done well thinking with people. It's never occurred to him that obedience, being doing a good job, isn't just about doing what you're told. In fact, quite often, it's really about doing what you haven't been told. It doesn't occur to him that getting along with people is passive and a refusal to contribute. And it hasn't occurred to him that just doing his job deprives him of his own agency, creative, imaginative, moral capacity. And what, I, what worries me about Sam is not that he's a bad guy, because he's not a bad guy. And neither, I think, it's important to say, neither is he a hero. Sam's a very ordinary human being, like all of us. But what concerns me about Sam is that he has freedom. He's just not used to using it. He spent most of his educational and professional life trying to figure out what's the right answer everybody else has defined and how can I get there faster than they do. This is deeply constrained, bounded thinking. So my question in writing the book and in talking to you is, how do you get Sam out of his trap? It's a comfortable trap. It's a safe trap. 
How do we all get ourselves out of this trap? How do we all get to a point where we're not second-guessing? What's going to make me look good, sound good? What's going to earn me brownie points? What might get me a promotion? What might get me the right grade? What might get me a smile from my boss or a smile from my neighbors? How can I move outside of that deeply bounded, rather tight circle to think and act and live more freely? Because that's the central question of willful blindness. Not just what makes us blind, but how do we learn to see better? Over to you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy for Our Times. Remember to like, subscribe and review wherever you listen. And tune in next week for more big ideas from the world's leading thinkers.